Thank you for joining us on the Overcoming Monday podcast, where we provide you with little secrets for your big breakthrough. This podcast is designed to enhance your emotional and spiritual health. Our mission is to help you understand yourself, the people you love, and the world around you so that you can win where it matters most. In each episode, we'll hear from writer, speaker, mom, and pastor's wife, Shari King, as she invites you into conversations about the issues that matter most to you. Now, let's get started. Well, Overcoming Monday listeners, I have a surprise for you today. My super duper awesome husband is in the studio with me. Hey! Yep. He is um, coming on the show with me today to talk about parenting teens. Because that's what we do. Yes. We're currently parenting our teens. However, we're not, I don't feel like we're experts, but I feel like it's a good time to talk about this because we're in the middle of trying to figure it out. Yeah. And they're three years apart. So at 16 Mm -hmm. and 13, we're getting a a high school sophomore Mm -hmm. and we're getting a middle school seventh grader. Yep. And I was thinking about this literally as we're mic checking before James hit record. My dad used to say, um, when I told him that we were pregnant with Jacob, mm-hmm. you know, my dad's went to heaven with the Lord now, but he said, well, you've been in youth ministry all these years. You've been raising everybody else's kids. Yep. Now, good luck raising your own. Man, it's and scary to think about having teenagers. Yeah. But we have ours now and they're pretty awesome. It's going to be hard for me in this podcast. I'm just going to be honest with you, Shari. It's going to be hard for me to not brag. And I know every parent thinks their kids are the best. They just haven't met our kids yet because mm-hmm. ours are the best. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I'm going to say. I'm going to back off of that because I don't want to be that parent. Everybody hates the parent that's got 18 stickers on the back of their minivan about how their awesome kid is better than everybody else's kid. But we really are blessed to have two pretty, pretty amazing teenagers. I mean, it's hard not to be proud. I, I'm kind of cynical too. You have a term for people who have lots of stickers on the back of their car. Yeah, they're posers. They're If you've got more than two stickers on the back of your car, one of them is allowed to be like a parking sticker. If you're a student at a college or if you work in an office complex, you can have one parking sticker and then one other sticker that has like the abbreviation of the city that you vacation at, at the beach, like MYB for Myrtle Beach or HH for Hilton Head or whatever. But beyond that, there's a rule. You cannot have more than two stickers or you are officially in poser land. Yeah. Well, what if you have 18 kids? Can you put every kid up there? You just have to stop it. No, you don't put every kid up there. (laughs) Those are the parents I can't stand. It's not that I can't stand the parents. I just, I see the, I see the minivans and we drove a minivan. So I'm certainly not hating. We had a Chrysler town and country, but I just refuse to put that. I'm the proud parent of an honor roll student sticker on the back of the minivan. But at the same time, all kidding aside, I understand why parents want to show off some of the wins Mm -hmm. because when you're a parent, it is so infrequent, especially during stretches of your parenting, Mm -hmm. you feel like you don't get many wins. So if you you get a win, you want to talk about it. Right. You want to be proud because it's hard. And um, we just got to hear Dr. Henry, Henry Cloud at Catalyst, and he was talking a lot about boundaries and church boundaries, boundaries in particular with pastors. But I have his book in front of me called Boundaries with Kids. And I love this book. And I love that in this book, he says, when you are a parent, you help create your child's future. But the but the premise of this quote is that he's saying that if we don't have good character as parents, it's almost impossible or not impossible, but it's hard to parent well mm-hmm. when you don't 
have good character. And he says, most of our problems result from our own character weakness. Where we possess inner strength, we succeed, often in spite of tough circumstances. But where we do not possess inner strength, we either get stuck or fail. So I think that's what, that's the quote I kind of wanted to start off with today is to say that most of our parenting, I think, has been more of a search inside of our own character <clears throat> to see our weaknesses and then to realize where we're falling short. If we don't work on those areas, our kids are going to fall short in those areas too. Wouldn't you, you say? I agree. I think um, that our children, for you and I, I would love to know if other parents feel this way, our children <clears throat> have been um, a double-edged sword. One side of that sword, one edge of that sword splits me wide open and shows me how how depraved and impatient and spoiled I really am as an adult. The other edge of that sword reflects back to me when I see my boys doing things, saying things, reacting in certain ways. I, I see myself in them. So that's the double-edged sword of being a dad of two teenage boys. Mm-hmm. One edge of that sword cuts me open and shows me my sin. And then one of it reflects back to me in my children, the things they've learned from me. Um, this happened, I don't know, a year or two ago, just an ex- as an example. You and I have, you know, we've, we've tried to teach our boys and we stay on them pretty consistently about getting off their phones. They don't need to be on their phones all the time. Mm-hmm. And I had literally just told our boys, hey, guys, it's time to get off the phone. Let's have a phone-free night. We're going to watch something. But I had, I, I was <laughs> you waiting, your phone I was waiting I on a text. I was waiting on a text to come in from somebody about something that, I, and here's the deal. In my mind right now, I want to justify it because I remember it was important. But they would justify it but, too. But I don't remember what yeah. it was. So it obviously wasn't that important. And the minute I picked up my phone, they both yeah. jumped on me. Daddy, Daddy we, thought it was, we thought it was a phone-free night. What about our family? <laughs> and, you know, it's not... I'm glad that they do that. There's so many too. times when they've they felt the freedom to say something and man, as mad as it makes you as a parent, you don't want to like have someone slap your sin up in your face. But at the same time, it's so good for us to be able to receive that accountability from them. And <clears throat> I'm sorry, I got something stuck in my throat, but uh didn't mean to clear my throat in the microphone. I, for me, um it is good for my soul as a 45, almost 46-year-old man to receive correction from my kids. Because mm-hmm. I'm not perfect, and I've had to learn how to receive correction from you. And you're very quick to correct me, and I'm glad. And I, don't, I, don't, I know you're... <laughs> I know you want to bust you. out laughing, but you have always been very, very quick to correct me because you are detailed, and yeah. you, are, you are verbal, and you like to communicate exactly what you think and exactly what you feel. And I love that about you. It's one thing to learn how to receive correction from your spouse, but we're in that stage as parents of teenagers where our children will point things out to us about us Mm -hmm. that aren't right or that aren't Christ-like or moments when we blow it. And what you and I have tried to do is to own it whenever it happens and to say, you're right, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Receive Mm -hmm. it and then immediately repent because we're teaching our teenage boys how to be men and part of being a grown-up, part of being a man, is the humility of receiving correction mm-hmm. and the humility of quickly saying, I'm sorry, and owning your failure when you when you mess up. I think when they're kids, you can kind of smooth over mistakes a little bit easier because you're like the hero 
I don't know how to explain it. But then when you become a parent of a teen, they're becoming individuals and they're looking at you as an individual and they're looking at the things they like about you and the things they don't like about you. And they want to tell you what those are yeah. and they're trying to decide who they want to become. And so um, as we are in this new stage, I remember the thing that set off this stage for me with Jacob was um, he turned 13 and he looked at me, I'm his mom and I'm a female. And I think as a boy, he's like, uh, can I still hug her? Yeah, I remember that. And so he kind of stopped for a while. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, hugs are over until college. <laughs> you yeah. know, maybe later he'll hug me again one day. Um, but he he kind of went through that for about a year. And now he's hugging me again. So He is. He's hugging yeah. you again. We have big group hugs in our family, yep. including Theo the dog. As yep. soon as we start hugging Jacob and Joseph, Theo gets jealous and he wants to come up and be a part of it too. Yep. Well, I was on a trip one time missing our kids, I guess, um, because I saw this book in the, in the airport and it says, um, the title of it is, If I Had a Parenting Do-Over, Seven Vital Changes I'd Make. And the main change it talks about in this book is um, instead of always creating boundaries, which is ironic because here I have uh, boundaries with kids is the other book, but he talks about how um, most people, most parents when questioned said that instead of like the biggest regret that they have is not, you know, what boundaries they didn't create or more discipline. It was bonding. Yeah. It was, I wish I'd spent more time bonding with my kids, mm -hmm. which is very convicting. Yeah. And this is, I think for me, one of the biggest challenges that I feel like I'm facing with our kids as teenagers, because they want to separate from us and mm -hmm. they want to have their own friends mm -hmm. and they want to do their own thing. And they don't like the shows that we like anymore. And they don't necessarily like the music that we like anymore. And so we're having to find things to bond with them about. It's not children's shows it's not children's songs it's yeah. not as easy as it used to be and honestly conversation with them is very hard and so i think that it would be very easy to let them have their own life and for us to just kind of do our own life and let that gap get bigger and bigger mm -hmm. um but in this book if i had a parenting do-over by jonathan mckee he says Sorry, I just snorted. <laughs> um, he says that um, they did a study, um, and the study was conducted by the Journal of Marriage and Family. Um, and it says, the more time a teen spends engaged with their mother, the fewer instances of delinquent behavior. And the more time teens spend with both of their parents together in family time, such as during meals, the less likely they are to abuse drugs and alcohol and engage in other risky or illegal behavior. They also achieve higher math scores. And he just basically goes on to say that um, just because it, they want to become their own person and we're thinking that they want that, we don't just disengage as parents. We have to figure out how to bond with them in new ways. And he said the, the three things that um, teen parents struggle with the most is thinking that proximity, um, just being with your kids produces quality time. Yeah. Just being with them produces quality time. And, and he says proximity doesn't mean quality. Right. So we have to think of things that our kids love and create quality time so that they will bond with us. The other thing that we assume a lot of times is that adolescents have different needs than younger kids. Like they don't need us anymore. Um, but he says, just when our kids and even tweens begin pushing us away, 
they need us the most. Mm. It doesn't mean that we need to smother them or put them on a leash. It just means we need our parenting to be proactive and looking for opportunities to bond with them. Healthy parenting requires healthy investment of both bonding and boundaries. Yeah. So I think that's so good. And the next thing is don't use quality time as an excuse to avoid quality time. So he goes back on the Say thing. Again. Don't use quant qua, uh, sorry, don't use quality time as an excuse to avoid quantity time. Right. So in the beginning he's saying that quantity time doesn't mean necessarily that you're getting quality time. You have to make sure there's quality coming out of it. Just mm-hmm. if you, if you're spending lots of time watching TV and you're together, that's not really producing a bonding between the two of you. Right. But he but here he says even if you have quality time, don't just say, oh, I had that good quality conversation with my kid. Now I can like check out for the rest of the mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. He's saying both of those things need to go together. So we just have to like always be measuring what we're doing with our kids to make sure that bonding is happening. So let's talk for just a second uh, for our listener, for your listener, mm-hmm. Shari, about those things we've learned and what we're trying to do now to bond with our teenage boys. Mm -hmm. This is a a conversation I have often with parents of students that come to Crossroads, of students in our Fuse ministry at at New Spring. What do you do as a parent when you feel like all the things that you used to do with your kids when they were little, it was so easy to bond with them? Mm -hmm. Because like you said, you're the hero. When they're little, they just want to follow you around and do whatever you do. Well, then your kids become teenagers and they develop their own ideas of what's cool and what's not cool. And our boys, honestly, right now, their life revolves around church Mm -hmm. and their friends. Right. So what are we doing right now to learn how to bond with our boys? Because there are a few things our boys really love. Right. And you wouldn't necessarily, and maybe even me, we wouldn't necessarily love those things if it weren't for our boys. Mm -hmm. What are some things that we're doing right now? Well, let's talk about this, but we're going to take a quick break real quick and get today's tips and then we'll be back. We'll be back in a moment, but first, let's check in with Elizabeth Harper for a dose of tips, trends, and practical advice. Hey, everybody. This is Elizabeth with Tips and Tricks for Season 6. And um, I wanted to share with you a little bit of something that my husband and I have done recently. Um, We have four kids. They range in ages from one to eight. Um, We have three girls, one boy. So um, we have some fun, interesting, different um, personalities and ages that we get to parent. Um, And with that, we have been really trying to uh, establish what our, what our parenting style is, um, as well as what are the guidelines that we are setting up in our home and the boundaries that we're setting up in our home for our children. Now, obviously, when you're dealing with a four-year-old, how you communicate that is going to be very different than an eight-year-old. And then it just goes up from there, right? So um, what my husband and I did is we created a mission statement for um, for us as parents to kind of look back on and say, you know, as we're maybe we're thinking of establishing a new boundary or a new rule um, for the kids and for the house or, you know, we want to teach them something of, of value and that's important. It allows us to go back to that and say, is this in keeping with what? what we set forth to begin with, like what we feel like the Lord put on our hearts as far as who we are as parents and who our kids are and who he's called them to be. So I wanted to share this with you and also encourage you if you haven't created a mission statement um, with your husband and 
y'all have younger children, it has really, really helped us um, to begin to just begin those kind of conversations, you know, about boundaries and rules and, um, you know, like I said, what, what is set forth for a four-year-old is going to look different for an eight-year-old and on up from there. But the heart, the heart of what this mission statement says is, um, is ageless. It goes, I mean, I should be reading it to myself. Okay, so here it goes. Um, our commitment is to raise and nurture our children the way that Jesus has called us to, while preparing them for what he has for their future. We will do this by encouraging the individual gifts he has placed in them, speaking the truth and love to their hearts, and diligently setting clear guidelines according to the word of God. So short, sweet, to the point, but it captures our heart and what we, um, what we as parents are trying to establish in our children. And it gives us something that we can look back on and say, okay, does this line up with who we are, with who we feel like the Lord has called us to be as parents and with who we feel like he is calling our children to be. Um, our kids are our are one of our greatest gifts. I mean, he has given them to us and every single day, um, Chase and I return them back to him in prayer. It is something that we do not take lightly as I'm sure y'all don't either. Um, so having this, it just strengthens that within us even more like what a precious gift they are and how committed we are to raising them as the Lord has called us to. I hope this helps and I hope y'all have an awesome day and I can't wait to talk to you next time. Bye. So before the break, you asked me what we do as parents of teens to try to engage them and bond with them now that their lives are changing and they're becoming their own people. Um, I want to take a second though to tell our audience, we have a friend who just came to join us today. His name's um, Jason. Do you want to pull the Jason Patterson? Yeah, do you want to say hi? Up. Hi, yeah. I'm Jason Patterson. Glad um, to be with you guys. He's a great friend of ours. He actually has young kids and he was like, I want to sit in with you and listen to you to talk <laughs> about parenting teens. Four kids under seven. I need to know all I can four know. Four under seven. We had four in five years. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah. We were hanging out right before the recording and Jason was like, I got an hour to kill. Can I come sit in? And we're yeah. like, of course. Yeah, man. So welcome to the podcast world. Is this your first podcast appearance? First one. Yeah. First ever, of many. Ever. First All right. Ever. Well, yeah, maybe, thank you. Maybe you'll have more. Um, <laughs> Jason, so I think when we were in your stage of life, we could just watch a superhero cartoon and then talk about which ones we loved and just have conversations about superheroes. And then the other day... Um, we went on a walk with Joseph and I don't want to embarrass him here, but we're just, we were trying to make conversation with him and he's hard to converse with anyway. Mm -hmm. And so Joseph, um, you have to keep asking him questions and you have to know the exact question to ask him and then you have to keep going. And so we took a walk with Joseph. He kind of got forced into the walk. He wanted to play basketball at the Y, but there was a swim meet. <laughs> and so he ended up having to walk the dog with Clayton and I, and we just kept asking questions, but um, I won't say the subject of our conversation, but the um, questions that we asked and we just kept saying, okay, so I don't know is not an answer. So let's keep going. Let's dig deep. Let's, 
you need to tell us what your thoughts are. And so we just had to pick a subject we thought he would be interested in and continue to ask him questions, right? Yep, sure did. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, it's harder. I feel like it's harder for me because I'm the female in the family and our we have two boys. So I feel like Clayton's interests line up with them a lot easier than mine do. Yeah. So I like football, but I don't have an interest in watching three great games in a row and knowing all the stats and talking about it. And so, and I don't care about the football players' personal lives. I mean, that's just not me. But I'll who watch does? a game. But who does? You do. No, I don't. No, Jacob does. Jacob does. Yeah, I don't care about the I mean, personal lives of players. I don't know all the stats, but J- Jacob does. Mm-hmm. And because that's important to him – there, I've seen you do it during foot, especially during football season, NBA season. Mm-hmm. I've seen you, and I'm so proud of you for doing it. You know that that's important. And Jacob and Joseph and I will sit there and watch a game. And I've seen you sit down and watch a game. And then when the second game comes on, I've seen you go get your iPad and put your headphones in, but you still sit there with yeah. us. And I was also thinking, you know, before the break, I'd ask you this question what do we do now as parents to bond with our teenage boys? Because it's more difficult. You have to figure out what they like. And then you have to do it with them. Mm-hmm. So I was I was trying to hint at you, but I don't I don't know if you're going to get there. I'm talking about Clemson games. Oh yeah, like we go to Clemson games because yeah. we live 20 miles from Death Valley, mm-hmm. and Clemson is like the Clemson football is almost like a second religion to our boys. They just love it. So we when we moved to Anderson four years ago, we told our boys we will try to go to as many home games as we can go to. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've seen you do it on hot hot days when it's humid. I've seen you give up a Saturday and go to a Clemson game with our boys. And sometimes there have been a couple of games that we've gone to with our boys. They didn't even sit with us. Yeah. I See, that's the thing. I really actually love being at the game. Jason, yeah. you guys go to games all the time too, right? We do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what's cool is my kids, my daughter loves going to games. Mm-hmm. My son doesn't love it as much. That's so funny. <laughs> You know, so yeah. just finding out at a young age what they love to do. Yeah. And doing it with them. Well, I, I love going to the games. I think the g- games are fun when you go to them. I think sometimes I tune out um, when it's on TV and I fall asleep. That's just kind of how I've always been. Um, but what would you say um, that Henry Cloud, he also says this in his book, and I, I really love this quote. It says that... Um, a boundary is a property line that defines a person. It defines where one person ends and someone else begins. And I think that's hard when your kids are little. You feel like they're like a part of you. They're like they are yours, you know. And I think I remember when my kids became, started becoming teenagers, I realized they're not mine anymore. I can't explain it. It just felt like they were my property and my responsibility. And they are to an extent. But they're the Lord's, really. And so, but when they're teenagers, you start seeing that even more. I have to let go of them. They're not, quote, mine. They're their own people. And so I love that um, this book, Boundaries, it says, a child needs to know where she begins and what she needs to take responsibility for and what she does not need to take responsibility for. If she knows that the world requires her to take responsibility for her own personhood and life, then she can always learn to live up to those requirements and get along well in life. And I think this is one mistake that I've seen a lot of parents make and I've been tempted to make is to protect our teens and to keep them in a bubble 
and to not let them endure the consequences of their own actions. Mm -hmm. And I believe, I can't remember if I told this story in a podcast before, but my uncle David, he's, they live in Maine and they have lots of kids and there's snow very often up there. And one day they were fine with their kid to like put his shoes on before school. And it just turned into this giant blowout fight and he just decided, you know what? I'm just not going to make him put his shoes on. He can go to school barefooted in the snow. And whatever the consequences are, he can figure it out. And he did, you know? Wow. And the next day, the kid wore, sn- uh, wore shoes because it was cold. And he didn't want to just he not wear shoes out. to school, you know? But I think that sometimes we can make, um, we can be afraid of the decisions that we're making with our kids. And we try to control them. And we try to control a situation. And a lot of that reason is because we're scared of what's going to happen to them. But also, I think we think we need to control them instead of teach them to become their own people. Yeah. Yeah. If you can teach them to make a wise decision, then it's easier on both of you. Because as parents, we exert so much energy Mm -hmm. trying to make our kids do what we want them to do. Mm -hmm. In the long run, if a lot of times we would back off and let them make a decision, even if we... I'm not talking about a sinful choice. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about something like the shoes that you just right. described. If we let them make a decision that they end up paying a price for, it actually doesn't cost nearly as much in time or expended energy for them or for us. Mm-hmm. And it also kind of helps us as parents remember, we're not really in control of our kids. Like we're responsible for them, but ultimately they're going to grow up and become adults. And our boys right. are closer than they've ever been, obviously because they're teenagers, but we're realizing our boys are already making lots of those decisions. I mean, Jacob's driving a car now, mm-hmm. Jacob gets up in the morning and makes his own breakfast. So does Joseph. Jacob drinks coffee and gets dressed and goes out to the car and gets in the car and pulls out of the driveway. And and this coming Saturday, he and Joseph are going to go by themselves, just the two of them, to uh, Death Valley. And they're going to go sit with 83,000 football fans. And we're not going to be in the car with them. We're not going to show them where to park. We're not going to be there to walk them around. Mm-hmm. They have got to eventually, your teenagers uh, or your children, however old they are right now, are going to one day be teenagers that will one day be grownups. And they're going to make their own decisions. Right. And I know when they're young. So when they're young, it's different. You are instructing them. But I have always, uh, I, I transitioned my parenting style a little bit um, partway through it because I felt like all I was doing was saying, no, do this, do that. And then I started asking them questions. like. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when you ask them questions, why they're not doing what they're doing or you know, what they want, you're helping them to diagnose their heart and you're teaching them to take responsibility, like this quote says, for who they are and the decisions that they're making. Mm -hmm. And that seems impossible, I know, when they're young. But if you start young, I think that it can help play out much better when they're older. And so I feel like our boys get the idea that they're responsible for themselves. Now, I'm not saying that they're already adults and they're handling this perfectly, but they know that they're sinners that their sin doesn't come from us, that they can't blame us or anyone else for the things that they do wrong. I mean, they can, but really, ultimately, they're responsible for their own behavior and for the things that happen in their lives if if they're decisions that they're making. And I know in Ephesians 4, 22 through 23 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now that's hard for an adult, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because we have this old sinful we have this sinful nature inside and we we want to follow it. But if we we have to teach our kids that they have it too. 
mm-hmm. and that that the goal in their life is to put aside those things and to become who they were created to be. Because who we are created to be is people who love God and reflect his image. Mm-hmm. People who are made in God's image and act like he acts. That's who we were created to be. But we have the sinful nature. And so if we teach our kids, you have a sinful nature too, and that's what's making you make these bad choices. Mm-hmm. So you have a responsibility to overcome it because I'm not always going to be with you. Right, right. You know? I mean, like, we want to make the day <clears throat> when they go off to college. I'd rather my kids mess up right now when they're in high school. Yeah. So I want to start giving them more responsibility now so that when they go to college, I'm not as worried. Right. So I'm trying to let go. I'm trying to let the, these hands open up a little bit, even if I know that they're going to make mistakes. If if a parent gives, my, my mom and dad were great about this. If a parent gives their kids a safe place to mess up and make mistakes, and that child knows, even as a teenager, when I blow it, I'm going to have a mom and a dad that support me and forgive me, even mm-hmm. if there are consequences. Then what ends up happening is when, you're, when your teenager becomes a young adult and then becomes a grown adult with their own kids, they're going to keep coming back. Mm-hmm. They're going to keep coming home. I heard Andy Stanley say something, one of the most profound things I have ever heard in my life He was speaking to a group of leaders. He said, I know what we all want. I figured it out. We all want our adult children to come back home and visit us when they don't have to. Isn't that a life goal? Mm -hmm. And and what researchers have found and psychologists have found this to be true is that when teenagers are raised and or when children are raised and then teenagers are eventually released from an environment where mom and dad support them. Mm give them clear expectations, but then eventually give them enough room to make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. And then they celebrate them when they do it right. They correct them when they do it wrong, but they always do it with grace and love. Then you get what you really want, which is eventually your children grow up to be teenagers, your teenagers grow up to be adults, and then they want to keep coming back home. Why? Because home was a place of support. Mm -hmm. And home was a safe place where they were not... They don't think of it. I don't. When I look back at my teenage years, I made a lot of mistakes. But I don't think of it in terms of between the ages of thirteen and nineteen, I messed up a lot. I think of it in terms of I learned so much from my mom and specifically from my dad. Can you think of a time that your mom and dad um, let go of their grip of you and you made a mistake and then you went back to them? Well, I mean, yeah, I was growing up on a farm. There were. These are mistakes that not everybody will be able to relate to. But, you know, I I wrecked um, my parents bought bought me a car Mm -hmm. and I wrecked it four months after they bought it for me. And it was a it was not a very expensive vehicle, but um, I rear ended someone and and it wasn't a bad wreck, but I had to pay for it Mm -hmm. out of my own pocket. And then about three months after that, I totaled that truck. I flipped it on a dirt road. I was just being stupid. The one you paid for. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, no, my parent, no, no. My parents paid for the car, okay. but I had to pay for it when I wrecked it the first okay. time. I bought my own insurance. I paid my own taxes, my own gas, oil, tires, everything. And my dad told me when they gave me that, that car, again, it was a used truck. It was not very expensive, but he told me this is the only car I'm ever going to buy you. And he, t- they gave it to me for Christmas. So on Christmas day, he said, if you wreck it, if you tear it up, if you if it's a total loss, the next one you buy is going to be on you. I'm only going to buy you this one vehicle. Take care of it or tear it up. It's your choice. Mm-hmm. And I tore it up. And so when I tore it up, my dad came to get me um, on the old dirt road. It was out near where we lived on the farm. 
He came to get me and my friend who was with me when I, when I wrecked it. It was a total loss. And he said, well, I told you that was the only car I was ever going to buy you. And I'm in it. Mm-hmm. So the next one you'll have to buy yourself or um, you'll have to get your friends to pick you up or your mom can drive you around. And I, and I had to save up my own money working manual labor jobs, hard backbreaking work as a 15 and 16 year old kid. And the next car I bought, I paid cash for it myself. And that lesson I'm telling you mm-hmm. has followed me throughout my life. I know the value of a dollar. I, I know how much a dollar is worth in sweat equity and time on the job because I worked my fingers to the bone to make enough money to buy that second car. And I drove that car until I had a 150,000 miles on it and I sold it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I drove it for you know five or six years afterwards. Yeah. As much as I want to complain about the car that I had that like pretty much lost air conditioning and had a tape get stuck in the deck and I only listened to one side of that tape. And it was so annoying every time. I just, I wanted to, I complained about it at the time. But at the same time, I learned um, I I didn't have enough money to go take it to get the oil changed. So we bought ramps and I changed my own oil. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew how to change my own tire. Um, I asked my mom, you know, sometimes if she could buy me clothes, but she was paying for private school in Atlanta. And she would say, I don't have money for that. So I go work for my dad and go buy my own whatever it was that I needed. Yeah. So I learned what do I want and what do I need? Whereas I had friends at school whose parents, they were wrecking their cars and their parents were just buying them new, new ones. Car. Yeah. I had and, friends like that too. And I, and I wanted to be them in a way, but I'm kind of glad now that I had to work and that I had to realize if I'm going to, if I need something, I'm going to figure out how much I need it. It's going to take time away from me to go work for my dad. And then once I work for my dad, I've got to decide what it is that I actually want to spend that money on. So I think really what... And you, I was 16. Well, you know? and what both you, what we're both saying to the parent who's listening right now that has teenagers is don't be soft on them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean be harsh. There's mm-hmm. a difference in, in being firm and challenging your teenagers and giving them responsibility versus being harsh. Mm-hmm. There's never a reason to be harsh with your kids. But what our parents both did for us, and I think we've benefited from it, is that when we were teenagers, they treated us like we were young adults. Yeah. And then and then I would get a reward. So my dad asked me, you know, what do you want for Christmas? Probably the biggest Christmas gift I got. He finally um, bought me a um, CD player to go in my car mm-hmm. so that I didn't have that terrible tape deck in there. But I think that what we're just trying to say is that we ha- you have to give your kids room, room to become adults. And so what are some, what are some ways that they can um, endure the consequences of their decisions um, and start understanding what that means. Mm. And I think that we have to choose areas of their life where we're okay with those consequences, yeah. you know, and not rescue them from the consequences. I would say that to every parent listening right now, do not rescue your teenager from the consequences they deserve when they have made a poor decision or when they have committed a sin. So I think, let them feel that. Yeah. I think it's important to keep the, the lines. That, so, in order to keep lines of communication open and for it to feel like a safe home, you have to bond. Right. So you have to bond with That's your That's number kid. one, bonding. Yes, you have to bond. Figure and, out what they like to do and yep. do it with them. Yep. And as they're bonding, you're having conversation with them. Yeah. And as you're having conversation with them, you're understanding the areas where they need to grow. 
And as you understand that, you need to give them, you need to let go of your grip in certain areas so mm -hmm. that they can grow. And then in those areas where they are growing, you let them have the consequences of their decisions. So Jacob's driving himself to school and the other day he forgot something and came home and I said, you're going to be late. Are you going to be late? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I didn't rush to the school and write him a note. I just said, you're going to be late if you don't, you should have had this ready, you know? And so there are things like that, that I don't go, I'm not coming to the rescue. I'm going to yeah. let him have the consequences of being tardy, yeah. you know? Um, so I think that those are some of them. Choose the ones where they can learn, but then you help them out of the ones where they're in danger, of course. Yeah, yeah of course. Every parent would do that. Yep. Um, here's another verse that I love. Galatians 6, 1 says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. And I just think it's hard to restore your child gently for so many reasons. Um, we want to protect them because they're hurting. Yeah. And so I think that uh, my natural reaction would be to just go and like either pull them out of a situation or just try to protect them from everything. Um, we homeschooled, but we weren't like homeschool parents that like were t our motivation wasn't to shield them from the world. It was to instruct them so that they could handle the world when the, when the world came at them, right. you know? Right. And so I think that's what I'm trying to say is that how can we, I want to ask you this question, how can we speak correction to our kids? Um, I know it's been a journey for us when they're younger, you speak different forms of correction than say now when they're teenagers, how do you think that has changed? What has that journey been you know, let's talk about how we talked to our kids when they were little, as they got older, and then now as they're teens. Tone is everything, and I'm terrible at it sometimes. Well, let's be honest, we both are. Uh, we, you and I both struggle with that. I'm, but I think me worse than you. I can be when I'm rushed, or when I'm in the middle of doing something else. I just want, and this is every parent's dilemma. We just want our kids to do what we say. <laughs> Just comply. Don't argue. Don't ask me why. Don't debate. Just, I don't have time to explain to you why. Just do it. And I know that uh, I learned this when you and I got married. I'm still learning this, that my facial expression and my tone can be very, can be very um, demanding, mm -hmm. um, very rough and, and harsh sometimes when I don't mean for it to be. So what I've had to learn to do with our boys as teenagers is that when I need to correct them, there are times when I need to be very firm with them and say, absolutely not, we're not going to do that. But those times are very few and far between now. Our boys are older, so they're a little bit more mature. My tone, I have to make myself lower my voice. I have to make myself soften my facial expressions, mm -hmm. not furrow my brow. And I've even learned that if I'll put my hand on their shoulder when I'm talking to them, Mm -hmm. Or if I'll stand near them, or just sit, and or just sit really down, look at them, sit down yeah. and listen to them. And when they, and when yes, that's important. When they start to explain to me why they did something or why they forgot something they were supposed to do today, both of both of our boys mm -hmm. to, today forgot to take the trash down to the road. No big deal. I we had to rush. It may still be sitting there because I think we may have missed the trash pickup. But in forty years. Am I going to care? Am I going to remember when I'm 85 that the boys forgot to take the trash down? I need to listen to them explain to me what was going on in their mind or their thought process instead of just um, 
shutting them down mm-hmm. in the conversation. It's real easy for a parent because we learn it when our kids are real little. We can shut our kids down when they're small because a lot of times a kid will learn how to argue you out of a decision and into their world mm-hmm. and you can't let them talk because yep. they'll like, they'll, they will hypnotize you with their words. You almost said seduce. I almost said seduce. That's wrong. Different podcast. Yeah. We'll talk about that one later. Um, husband and wife conversation. But no, I, honestly with our boys now we just have, I have to listen very closely Make sure my facial expression looks inviting, that my tone is low, that I'm inviting a conversation. And if I can, to put my hand on their shoulder physically, you know, pat them on the back and uh, and let them know that I love them. Yeah. I think that you and I struggle in different things. I think when I see you um, being harsh, I'm like, how are they receiving this? And then we have to have a conversation about it sometimes. But then I think that you have to tell me, Shari, you need to toughen up and you need to like say things straight and you're letting them walk all over you. And so we have different weaknesses. And we balance each other out. Yeah. And so I think part of parenting is having someone else being open. I have to be open to Clayton telling me um, different ways to change in my parenting style because he'll see where I'm weak. And, mm-hmm. and then I'll do the same with you. And so um, I appreciate that. And I think that with our kids now, it's we're into a coaching yeah. rather than an instructing style. We're right. in a coaching, like let us help you do life rather than let us tell you how to do life. Um, but we've had such a good time today talking about parenting teens. I hope that you guys have found some little secrets for your big breakthrough. I hope you have, Jason. You've been over Jason's here. still with us. I have. He's taking Listen, notes. Let me just brag. Last thing on these guys, the reason, I didn't tell Clayton this, but the reason I came, having four kids, I came here because, so Clayton has been an awesome pastor, shepherd to me the last year. My son is six years old, and they're, so Clayton, your oldest son, um, Jacob, is in my son's class, first grade class at church, mm-hmm. and my son was having a hard time a couple weeks ago and Jacob walked up, put his arm around him. And so he's 16 years old, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah, he's 16. And he's already shepherding my six-year-old mm. son. And I'm like, okay, whoever the parents are of this kid, <laughs> I need to hang around more. Aww. So that's why I'm here. So if you Man. have young kids, don't just yeah. ask advice and parenting advice of anyone. Look at people who are having success mm-hmm. and like you guys. So I look. That's a big deal. You guys are doing something right in the Lord's because to be 16 and walk up and put his arm around my son. Um, it's a big deal. It's it? a yeah. big deal. Yeah. And it meant a lot to our family. Praise yeah. God. That's why I'm here to, to you guys. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> well, 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 Shari, thanks for having me on your podcast today. This has been fun. I love talking about anything with you, but especially mm-hmm. our boys. There's nothing I love more. Yep. So if you want to know more about my husband, you can um, check more about him out at, that was weird to say that that way but um i was Check like how do i how do i say this um as a wife it's like strange but um at clayton and also i just wanted to let you know that clean uh that overcoming monday is a production of clayton king ministries that means that we produce this podcast within our ministry Podcasts, blogs, and books all thrive on reviews from our audience. So we're not a ministry that does a lot of marketing. We depend on you as listeners and as our audience to help support us. So if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of this podcast, it would be appreciated and it would flow into your friend's feed and all that kind of stuff. It would just pop up higher on the search engines and we could use your help in that. 
I'm positive that you found some little secrets for your big breakthrough, and we hope that you will join us again on the next episode of Overcoming Monday.